0: I want to tell you something that I hope you already know, and I I hope that I don't have to persuade you of this, though I will try in just a moment, even if you don't immediately land on board with this. But there's just a truth that generosity leads to blessings. And it gets uncomfortable because whenever a pastor starts talking about generosity, he starts talking about giving, and giving can be uncomfortable because if you haven't dealt with giving, it feels really uncomfortable until you finally deal with it. And then it's like you can, you're the person who gets loud about giving. You're the one who's shouting. At it. And not, not to point you out because I don't shout out about giving too much either because it's not a natural gift to me. But there's just a truth that I've experienced in the track record of my life that when God finally drags it out of me and I am generous that it leads to blessings. Here, here's an example. Uh, we as a church, we're, we're three years old, and I'm going to catch you guys up. If you, weren't, if you didn't get to see what happened last week, uh, I'm going to go through some of the stuff. There's some amazing things that are, that are happening for our church right now, but I, I felt like to really set it up, you need to know the whole story. So we as a church, we're three years old. We're portable. Finances are always tight, but we've always tried to be a church that saved a little bit. So is put it, because we know that there's a future ahead of us. We need to be prepared to, you know, purchase land one day. But there's decisions that you have to make of how much you save, how much you spend. And we made a choice early on in our church that, especially at Christmas time, we're going to be a church that blesses other people. We're going to help feed the hungry. We're going to take care of kids. One of our partnerships has been with Diplomat Elementary School. The school sends out a form to the entire school, and if any families are in need of food, They fill that form, get it back to the school. They give it to us, and then we deliver about $200 worth of grocery to each family that has a need. And it's been an awesome way that we got to bless our community. It's also kind of expensive, to be just quite honest. But as a church, that's something that we're supposed to do, right? That's just who we are. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, we've been doing that. And at the same time, I've been looking at land and, you know, dreaming, man, God, could there be land that our church could afford? That we could set up a permanent home and get planted In our city. And if you're watching online and you're not too familiar with the southwest Florida area, for the amount of land that we would need, a parcel only costs about $2 million. So um, that's a little bit out of our normal budget, if you're wondering. Uh, But at the beginning of this year, someone who saw how we were generous with our community wrote us a check for $10,000. They don't go to our church, they didn't get asked for that money. They just wrote a $10,000 check and said, I love what you're doing. I'd love to see you use this to buy land, but whatever you need to use it for, that's great. I had stopped looking at land because it's kind of discouraging when you want something, but you know that it's not the right time. And, and so I would stopped looking. And when they sent us $10,000 check and said, hey, I'd like you to use this to buy land, I'm like, well, 10000 is just this short from $2 million, um, but I'll go look anyway. And so I did some driving around, didn't see anything new. Came back here into the office, and was just, and, and I had this really just honest moment of prayer with God in the car. I'm like, if we're supposed to use this for land, you're going to have to show me something new because there's nothing out there. There's not a space we could rent. There's not a lease that we could get. There's not anything that we could buy that's within our range. You're going to have to show me something new. So I pulled up the, the websites that you use to search commercial realty, and there was a new listing. Within a mile of the high school that we've always met at, there was a listing for 14 acres for $499,000. And I was like, what in the world? Like that's, that, that would be work, that would be a stretch, but that might be something that we could pull off. And so I brought the concept to our church last week and just asked the question, is this something that we would want to consider? Is this something that we might, you know, sacrificially give one time and give to where it hurt a little bit, but we could secure 14 acres of land that connects to De Navarra and US 41 to secure a permanent home in 100% of the feedback that I heard from you guys was, yes, we need to figure this out. Well, to even consider making an offer on it, they won't take offers out of, you know, hope. They, they want financing. Um, <laughs> and banks, when you're a three-year-old church, they look at you like you're a three-year-old toddler, and they're like, you're barely potty trained, and you're asking me for a half million dollars? I don't think so. And so it would just take a miracle for us to be able to put a real offer down. But there's a person who loves our church and believes in us and operated as our private financing so that we could make an offer. And 499 is a steal. Like you'd have to be out of your mind to even try to like negotiate them down a little bit. So of course I bid 460. Of course, because that's just who I am. I asked for 460,000, 90 days of due diligence. And they said, we'll do the 460 if you can do 60 days. And that's when the air gets sucked out of the room. Oh my gosh, this is an opportunity. But oh my gosh, this is $460,000. How will we as a church pull that off? Should we as a church try to pull that off? I don't know about you, but I recognize, and as was discussed last week with some of the feedback, that if we can get this land, it's going to go up in value, It's going to give us a $1.5 million head start on ever building anything, and we need to try. We as a church, you may not have realized this, but because we've always saved some, we've got $100,000 already in the bank. God so moved in some people's hearts that we've already seen some people start giving very sacrificially to make this happen. and So we're entering this time where I want to ask you if Gulfside Church is your family. like If you're new here, please don't feel pressure on your shoulders about this. You get to watch how we respond to an opportunity. Uh, but for those of you guys who Gulfside Church is your home church, or you've been watching and you love us and you want to see us thrive, because I want to tell you, there are people in other states, there are churches in this city and churches across the U.S. who have already committed, we're going to financially give towards helping you guys get land because we believe in what you're doing. And church, I, I know that if other churches and other people who don't even go here believe in what we're doing, I know some of you guys do as well, right? I've got to believe that. But this is the first real opportunity in our church where we're, we're asking, okay, what does a sacrificial gift look like for our family in this season? And so I want to ask you to pray. I want you to ask God, what should you give? And I, I believe and praying about it and talking to our elders and just wanting to operate wisely. I've said, if we're going to do this, and if God is in this, then we need to have $250,000 down on the day of closing, 60 days from now. And we need to have the other, it was going to be 250, but now it's 200, and I'm bad at math on my feet, 210, 210,000 committed in pledges to come in in the next 12 months. Because we're not going to be a church who's all of a sudden in debt and the pastor feels like I have to pressure people about money. If we're going to do this, it's because we're passionate about it. That's right, that's right. It's going it's to be because it lines up with our mission and it's an opportunity that we just will choose not to miss. And so that puts us right here, right, right now and today, and looking and say, in the next 60 days, will we as a church raise up $150,000? And our family, like we, we've been, you know, we kind of, have the heads up of we know what's going on first, usually. And so, so we know we're going to bring a sacrificial gift. And today, um, and, and next week, we're going to talk, and I'm going to share more about the opportunity, and then we're going to get back into a regular series. Don't worry, I'm not going to be on this for months or years or anything like this. But for the next two weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about legacy. What is the legacy that we're going to create and leave in this city? I like how Legacy was talked about in this quote. It says, the great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. We want to use our life, our time, our resources to be a blessing to the world. And sometimes, and especially in this, man, I will be straight. The the sermon you're about to hear was written to Paul. Just make this clear. Because as a pastor, as a church planner, to, to step into this, oh my gosh, we're going to try to raise $460,000, this feels above me, and so I had to just kind of write to myself this week, and you get to listen to what I need to remind myself from Scripture. And we're going to be looking in the, the book of Nehemiah and taking some lessons from him, because Nehemiah, if you don't know anything else about him, he was a person who was exiled from the, the country that he lived in, because as God's people, God put his people in Israel and he said, as long as you obey my ways, I will protect you. As long as you don't follow other gods who call, you out of, who call you into sin, who call you into the sacrifice of children, if you start following those gods, I will expel you from the land. And that's what happened. And so Nehemiah finds himself in a foreign country serving another king and he gets news about the state that Jerusalem is still in, God's chosen city. And he hears about how everything lays in ruins and it breaks his heart. But I want you to know this isn't fresh news. It had been 140 years since they were defeated. a 140 year old problem that he was face to face with. But when he heard it, it broke his heart in a way that it compelled him towards action. He saw what was happening and he said, I have to do something about this. And I'm going to tell you, that's one of the things that will indicate to you what's an an actual belief and what's just an idea that's in your head. Because there's ideas that you'll say, okay, maybe this is true, but beliefs will actually propel you towards an action. And when he heard the state of God's city, he said, I have to do something because I believe that that's not how God's city should be. And so his job was the cupbearer to the king, which is a decent job. It just doesn't have a very good retirement plan because when you transition out of being cupbearer for the king, when you're, it's, well, your job is to test his drinks for poison. And so if you're transitioning out of that job, you're usually transitioning into the grave. Like that's just how it goes. And he was in this job and he prayed and he wept over the state of Jerusalem. And there came a day where the king looked at him and he said, I've never seen you like this. Are you ill? Which is an important question to ask the person who tests your food for poison. <laughs> are, you, are you feeling okay? What's going on? I've never seen you look like this. Should I be concerned about me? I don't know if that's what's running through the king's mind, but he asks him that and he has genuine concern for Nehemiah and Nehemiah begins to unpack what, what's going on in the state of a city and how it breaks his heart. Which, once again, it's a dangerous question to ask because if you, in that day and age, verbalize the fact that there's something more important than just serving you, O king, you're taking your life into your own hands. And so he verbalizes this with some risk and the king says, well, let's do something about it. And he offers resources and time and sends Nehemiah back and you would read the story and almost say, oh man, what a victory story. He got sent back to restore the city. But he was going back to the job that God called him to do, doing exactly what he was supposed to do, and he was walking into a situation where there was people who did not necessarily want to do the work, didn't want to do the work his way, people who surrounded him, who questioned what he was doing, how he was doing it, if he should be doing it, people who spread false rumors about him. These are all things that he felt and experienced as he stepped into doing exactly what God wanted him to do. And I want to tell you, within that 140-year gap, I wonder how many people actually stepped up to the plate of saying, God, if you would just be faithful, I will step out and try to make a difference in this. I wonder how many people actually stepped into that gap, but we see that as soon as Nehemiah started, God started opening doors. After 140 years, to talk about a problem that seems too big to solve, something that that is too big of a disaster to recover, He steps in and he gets himself into the situation. And when you attempt to do incredible things, when you attempt to do something that is life-changing, you will always experience opposition. And this is one of the first things that we'll see from the life of Nehemiah is that he began to experience opposition from the other cities and countries around him who said, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are to do this? You you could never restore this. And and we're gonna pick up in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3. And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. There's always someone who's just kind of standing by the side who has something to say, who has no skin in the game, isn't there? Like You've experienced this person who you're, you're trying to get in shape, and they, they've got something to say about, you know, everyone makes those New Year's resolutions. They never last long. January of the gym always looks the same. you've got those people, the people who, oh, you know, you're going to try to get holy now. You're going to pray now. Like, yeah, I know what you've been doing for the last 10 years, and now you're going to start opening a Bible like you can be somebody else. Oh, you think your career is going to take a different turn after the way that you've worked? We've experienced, when we've tried to course correct in our life, the people from the sideline who only have negative things to say but they have no perception of what God has spoken, God has called, and the way that he blesses when we actually walk into it in obedience. And I wanna encourage you that if you're stepping into something, if you're pursuing, following the voice of God in your life, and, all, and you have this expectation that things should just always be easy from now on, you need to look at the example of the life of Jesus Christ who walked perfectly in the will of God and experienced hardship. You need to look at the life of the Apostle Peter who experienced hardship and abuse. You need to look at the life of the Apostle Paul in Scripture who experienced hardship, abuse, and eventually death for following Christ's sake. I mean, it's difficult. The road is difficult, and that's not to depress you, but that's to encourage you that if you begin a road of following God and things feel like there's opposition on this road, and I feel like it should just be straight and easy if I'm walking with God, that's not how he works. He shows his faithfulness to you through the difficulty. He doesn't get you just around it. He gets you through it to show you that his strength and his grace is enough for whatever you've been facing. And so the fact that Nehemiah stepped out into this adventure of trying to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, this work that was too big for one person to just institute. When he began to see opposition, don't give up. And in fact, he, he models something that is just so human to us in the next verse. I love it. it, it because he, he makes a good choice, but then you're going to see his humanity all over this. Look at this. In verse 4, it's after Tobiah you know, began saying, that, that wall would fall over if a fox ran across it. It, it says, then I prayed. That's the right choice, to not engage with the fool next to you who's criticizing, the fool who's not doing anything. Don't engage with them. Engage in your heavenly Father, but watch the humanity that gets wrapped all over this prayer. Hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. We don't like to be made fun of. May may their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may may they themselves become captives in foreign lands. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Do you hear the humanity? Like, I mean, he, that was an angry prayer. Like, I don't, I don't know if we're really supposed to pray like that. We have one Jesus in scripture who did everything perfectly. We can learn things from the examples of the the others in scripture, but they didn't always handle it in the most WWJD way, but... He prayed and he brought it to God and I want to tell you, bring your anger to God, bring your doubt to God, bring your fear to God, bring it to him in prayer and he's going to show up and he's going to move. We don't need to bring it against the person. We, we don't need to argue with the person. If someone wants to look at you and say, you know what, you're going to fail, well you don't know my God who is able to make his servant stand and no matter what anybody else thinks. My God is a God of comebacks, he's a God of new creations and no matter what I have been in the past, I can be something new in this day because his strength, because he is faithful. And so we go to God in prayer and I want to tell you, he he says, and, and he sees this at least, which is true. When someone begins speaking against what God is doing in your life and what he's called you to do, they're speaking against the plan of God. When you know this is what I'm supposed to do and someone's speaking against it, they're speaking against the plan of God. And so you don't have to fight against them. God is going to fight for himself. You continue to walk in obedience and you know in what you know he's been call, calling you to do. You're gonna encounter opposition. It's part of the way that we live our life. And, and as he's encountering this opposition and trying to keep morale up, he speaks to the people that he has working with him on the wall in, in Nehemiah chapter four, verse 14. And, and he says, remember the Lord. He calls them back and says, remember the Lord who's mighty and terrible. And, and he says, fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters, and your wives, and your house. And it's almost this like heart moment. Like, I mean, he's out there, he's giving the speech, he's rallying them up. Know what you're fighting for. And this is so crucial, because the life that we live is not just for ourselves. The church that we gather with is not just for ourselves. And even when I talk about the possibility of us having land in a permanent location, If I had any sense that the only reason that we were doing this or even the primary reason we were doing this was for the comfort of having our own building and not having to set up and tear down, I would say no. The only reason that we're pursuing this is that we recognize that when we have our own land and our own building, we will have a greater amount of influence and opportunity within our city. We are pursuing this because it will enable us to touch more lives, affect more lives, see more children come to know Christ at a young age, see more marriages saved from divorce, to see more families held together because of the work of the gospel, to see more lives moved from death to life. That is why we're pursuing something like this. It's not for ourselves. It's for the legacy that we need to create for our city. That we understand that when we have this, we will, you know, we talked about having a preschool when we have our own, our own building one day. Like I can already see a hundred kids coming in wearing Gulfside preschool shirts, knowing that the church is a place that loves me. The church is a place where I can come, where my whole family can come, even when we're having issues. And I can already see that. In fact, I think I've been able to see it since about 2015. You can ask Tia. She'll tell you exactly what the building looks like and give a word-for-word description because we've been seeing this for so long because we understand it's an opportunity to influence. The reason that we fight, the reason that we give, the reason that we strive to live the best life that we can, it's not just for ourselves and for selfish reasons. It's because we have an opportunity to influence those around us. And the critics around us, the opposition around us, they're going to try to interrupt they're going to try to distract. They're going to try to persuade. I'll go ahead and tell you, when word gets out that our church is trying to buy 14 acres, there will be haters. And I'll kind of celebrate a little bit as soon as the haters start rallying around because it just means you're usually doing something good. When they try to distract you from what you're doing, when they try to interject and just, and they're not doing anything to help the city, it just shows you, okay, we're standing out. And you've got to learn to ignore those voices. In, in, in Nehemiah chapter six, uh, it, it said that they were... the the critics, they were trying to frighten us, thinking that our hands would get too weak for the work and that it would not be completed. But I prayed, Lord, now strengthen my hands. People will enjoy seeing you run out of steam and seeing you fail at something that you attempted to do that was noble, because it'll make them feel better about their own securities and their lack of trying. But we can't worry about what's happening in anyone else's life. We worry about God, will you give me the strength for my hands to continue to work at what I'm supposed to do? I'll tell you what, if you're trying to get in shape, I know and I feel the struggle of, man, I just, I feel too tired to go after this right now. And if you know that this is an area that God's called you to improve in your life, you've, you just got to pray, God, would you just give me the strength? And I'll walk in that strength, believing that it'll show up right on time. If you're trying to work on your marriage and it feels difficult to talk, Lean on the Lord and just say, Lord, would you give me the strength? And I'm going to walk in that strength, believing it will just show up on time. And you'll find him faithful, faithful, time after time. As we walk through this as a church, I believe there's going to be hard work. There's going to be strain. But Lord, would you give us the strength? I believe he's going to provide what we need time after time to, to stay on task, to stay working on the wall where we're supposed to be. Do you know when they were working on the wall, they had so much concern about the other things that were going on, they had to hold a weapon in one hand and work one-handed on the other side. And while they were doing this, with multiple concerns, trying to fix a 140 year old problem, in 52 days, they rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. In 52 days, they did something that couldn't be done for 140 years. It created a legacy that changed an entire city. It created a legacy that their enemies began to fear how strong they had had become because of 52 days of obedience. They created a legacy that was so powerful that we're still talking about it today. This small group of people who gathered together to say, our city, our time, it's our time to work. It's our time to see this completed. Through the fears, through the worries, we're going to stay in our place. And while he was working on the wall, at least five different times, he was called by other people, come down from where you're doing and just talk to us. We need to talk about what you're doing because you're doing it wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. Do you know what the king is going to think when he hears about what you're doing? Like, Do you know the rumors that we've said about you? There's five different times where they were trying to persuade him to just come down, and his response was beautiful. He, He said, I am doing a great work right now. I mean, that's how he said it. He said, I'm doing a great work. They're criticizing. They're, they're, they're making rumors about his work. And almost, I mean, I mean this, is, this is almost confrontational because he says, I'm doing a great work right now and I can't come down from it. I can't stop. I can't get distracted. I have to stay on task. I have to do what I'm called to do. And that's a That's a heartbeat that I want you to take as you're pursuing what you're supposed to be doing in your life. I can't stop doing what I'm doing. I can't come down from the work. I can't come down to your level right now. I have gone to a higher level. It it, it almost, it it reminds me of the critics who were looking at Christ the way that, when he was on the cross in Matthew 27, when they said, he said he was the son of God, that he would save others, but he can't save himself. If you are the son of God, why don't you come down from there? And show us. And he knew exactly where he was supposed to be. I mean, Jesus could have come off the cross if he wanted. He had the power to call down angels, an army of angels to protect him from what he walked through for our sake. But he knew exactly what his mission and his purpose was. And it was through difficulty. It was through trial. It was through pain. But he wasn't coming down from the place that he knew he needed to be. And so if the place that you've been working on your life has felt difficult, take encouragement. If if you felt like your hands are getting tired because you've been working on that area for so long, ask God for strength. Because he who called you is faithful to complete the good work that he started in you. It doesn't depend on you, it depends on him. He provides the strength, you provide the obedience, the willingness. He'll give you the energy that you need for the next step. Because this opportunity that we have, I mean, that's how God works. He works in this moment, he's prepared for what's ahead, but he's looking for your obedience in this moment. And I want to show it to you like this. We've all experienced that when we buy apples, fruit, you know, vegetables, whatever, We understand this is good for a couple moments, right? And then it's not. Because while this is fresh, I can eat this apple. I can cook with this apple. There's an opportunity to use this apple for something that matters. I wait a little bit longer, it begins to get a little squishy. I don't know if you can tell. This one's just a little bit softer. But when God gives us opportunities, when we don't use it for something, our opportunities begin to look like this. They begin to sour. When we have a calling in a moment to correct something, if we don't, then that moment that we had becomes spoiled. And I think that we've all been able to call back to times in our life where we knew God was asking me to do something and I ignored the voice of God in my life, and it created a mess. It created something that I wish I had handled differently. For, for us as a church, we have an opportunity. It's not, it's not a requirement. It's, it's something that I believe if we take hold of it, it could be beautiful. But if it's not the right time for us, we will let it go. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to look at at it and say, you know what? We had an opportunity and we didn't work hard with our hands. We didn't pursue God and ask him if we should give or we pursued him and asked him and he said yes and then we didn't give. That's, I don't want that for us because I believe that there is something incredible on the other side. I believe, I, you know, to just, I, I want to I show you a picture because I, I can already see this in my hand. Can you show the picture of the, the lobby can you imagine what a kid's face would look like if they walked into their lobby of the church and it looked like that? Glass wall, about $28,000 of playground equipment, and the sense of joy that they'd have. Do you, could you imagine if that was sitting in northeast Cape Coral and a mom could take her young kids and lock them in that glass-doored room <laughs> and sit and sit in quiet and drink a cup of coffee and read a devotion next to the glass where they can see them, but not hear them. That's right, I know, I'm a parent, I'm real. You you guys understand how having a building would be a tool. It's not an end, but it's a tool. It's something that if we had it, it would expand our influence. And I believe that this is one of those windows of opportunity but it literally will require us giving in a sacrificial way. It literally feels like this project is so big. It's so expansive. Each one of us has a different calling in this project. Some, I believe God has enabled and called to to give $1,000 now and $1,000 next year. And that's your part of it. Some of us, God has called to give $10,000 now and $10,000 next year but I'm not here to tell you what God is saying to you. But I am saying that there's this opportunity for us as a church to step forward in our influence with the city. And if Gulfside Church has been your home and your heart beats for it and you want to see this happen, ask God the question, what should we do? Because when I think of legacy, I think back to Hillside Church. And if you guys want to make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this out. When I think of legacy, like the type of legacy that Nehemiah left, I think of Hillside Church where I came to Christ. And you guys might make a connection immediately when you hear that name, but it's kind of funny. I, I came to Christ at 17, and I didn't, I didn't really grow up in, in a church like ours. Like I, I remember the first time at Hillside Church, I was like, they they know something that I don't know because they they feel something about God that I've never felt and I can just see it and I'm curious about it and and I want that kind of love and joy in my life. I remember having that sense when I got in the building there for the first time and after being there for about a year, God finally got a hold of my heart and just began to change the whole trajectory of my life And, and I can remember exactly how it felt in that building but I cannot tell you a single name of the people who originally gave to build that building. But I know as a 17 year old, my life was changed. I know right now that other kids from the youth group I was in at that church are serving as missionaries around the world in Mexico and Africa, serving as pastors. And none of us ever knew the small group of people who gathered together and said, this is gonna be difficult, but we're gonna do it. And they started a legacy that I won't even understand until I am on the other side of this life. And church, I'm gonna tell you, we have an opportunity to create a legacy in the city. Just this last Wednesday night, I came um, to to the end of youth group to kind of spy it out. And they were having a special night, had over 50 people in the room. 20 kids raised their hand to indicate they were getting their relationship right with God and coming to Christ in that night. It was a powerful thing, God was moving. If you've never seen it, our kids ministry, we typically would have 60 to 70 children in our youth, our children's ministry on a Sunday morning. We, we have so many senior aged people around our church and we need to establish a ministry that's reaching, reaching there in their life, in their point of need. There are so many opportunities for us to make a difference in this city. And we're gonna seize all of them that we can in whatever space that we're in. But I believe that God is beginning to open this door. And if you get that sense, that you're part of this, then this week, go to our website and we have a pledge link that's set up there. It says, build, land and future building. And what I'm asking is, would you pray and consider committing to giving something by April 18th, which is just before our closing date. We've got 60 days and then giving a second gift within the next 12 months. Because if we're gonna do this, we've got to raise $125,000 or so between now and closing, and then have the other 210 dollars within the next 12 months. And it's gonna be with each person doing what God has called them to do. And it's for the purpose of our city church? What's the legacy that we'll leave? Will it be lives that you touch that maybe you don't ever get to meet? Families that are healed that you don't ever get to know because we chose to do this together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the way that you opened this door, but I know that the testimony is just beginning of your provision to create a permanent facility that will impact lives for generations. And that is our our ask, that through the faithfulness and the response of what your spirit asks of us, that legacies would be written of people who walk with Christ and plant churches all across the world because people gave towards this dream and goal today towards this calling today, in Jesus' name.